Let me uh, answer the first question you have. Is it weird for me to sit here listening to my voice over the speaker like that? Yes, it's weird. Um, So let's get that out of the way first and foremost. Um, And uh, to welcome you to uh, this third part of the series that we're calling um, Make an Impact. Um, If you're brand new and haven't noticed the colored insert, in the service folder you were given on the way in, um, really encourage you, uh, whether you're brand new or not, to take that out and put it on your lap. When Carrie and I first moved to Lakeville in 2003, um, the car that I drove was a 1992 Ford Escort GT. Not just a Ford Escort, it was, let me be clear, a Ford Escort GT. And whenever I said what my car was, it always included those letters GT because the GT part meant that it was like a souped up version of a Ford Escort. Did you know they had such a thing? (laughs) Yeah, it was the souped up version of a Ford Escort. It was greenish hatchback, had stick shift on the floor and a spoiler on the back. It was it was awesome. And I, as Carrie will tell you, I really loved that car. Um, It handled curves well. It was a lot of fun to drive. But there was a problem with it that began to materialize, and that was it was small. It was a small car. When we moved to Lakeville, we had two kids, so a family of four. And I still remember trying to get the car seats or the booster chairs or whatever into the back of this hatchback when we were needing to drive it for one reason or another. And I remember pulling up to places thinking, hopefully no one sees us because we kind of look like that clown car at the circus where all, this, all these people come out of it. You know, that's kind of how, how we felt. And then things got worse for me in my Escort GT. Better, but worse for my car. We found out we were expecting a third child. So here's what I did. I MacGyvered the back so that we could stick the most unruly child in the trunk and still be able to drive. No, no, we didn't. We didn't do that. What, what we found out was that it was time. It was time to look for another car. And I would have much rather kept the car that I had because I loved that car and I loved how it, how it drove Um, I knew it was going to take more work to now look for a car, and I love not having car payments, but anyone who saw us drive up, a family of four in that thing, knew it was time, okay? Now, there are times in life when we want bigger and better, and sometimes the reason we want bigger and better tend to be because we just want it. Uh, and sometimes it's connected to a status thing or how we come off. And not all of that all the time is even wrong. But then there are other times where you might have needed or, or wanted bigger and better because it wasn't just a want, but it was a need. Like, we could stick the third child in the trunk, but that's not wise or smart, right? Right? Lately at Bethlehem, at times, it's felt like as a congregation that we were a family of five driving in a Ford Escort GT, okay? My point being is that not all the time, but most of the time, this building that we've been blessed with has felt like it's kind of, we're kind of growing out of it, right? And the truth is that part of me would rather just close my eyes and pretend that's not the reality of it because it's easier that way. And I love this building. 
And I, I love having small payments on this building, and um, I don't enjoy more work and trying to get to the new place and all that stuff. But, but if I just closed my eyes and pretended this wasn't the reality, here's the thing. We would not be following God's plan for his church. And remember, church is not a building. It's the people. We would not be following God's plan because, you see, here's what God's plan was. His, his plan was for the, the body of Christ, for Christians, that we take the message that has changed us and now we take it out and, and we share it with other people. And that mobilized as a church, our goal is to encourage each other with that gospel, but also to reach other people. <laughs> so here's our first fill-in for this weekend. We haven't been called as a church to just exist. Um, instead, we've been called to make an impact. If, if the goal was to exist, we're there. If the goal was to pay the bills every month, we're, we're there. But if the goal was to continue to ask ourselves, how do we make an impact? Well, we'll never totally be there because there will always be things that we can do. So let, let me talk about that impact for a second. The, the, the greatest part of the impact of the church is seen when Christians go out of a building. When we take the message that has changed us and changed our eternities, and then by our actions and our words, we share it um, at our workplaces when we can, in our schools as students, or on the, uh, the hockey ice or the basketball court or wherever, football field, where we take that message and we, we make a difference with it in our neighborhoods and in the communities that we love. The, the greatest way we're going to make an impact is when we, as Christians, go out. But as long as there has been a Bible, we have seen direction from God that he has always intended for God's people to also come together that there is value in gathering in a place. And just in case you think I'm making that up, uh, here's one passage of many that I could have picked from Hebrews chapter 10. The writer says, Let us, Christians, not give up meeting together. Let's not stop gathering together as some of the Christians at that time were doing, were in the habit of doing. But instead, let us encourage one another. So when we get together, our, our presence with each other, our conversation encourages each other, relation person to person, and there's the encouragement from God through his word to us. Let's encourage one another when we get together. And all the more as you see the last day, as you see the day approaching. And so the, the goal of the gathering is to be strengthened, to be mobilized, and to be energized so that we don't stay here or make this the end-all and be-all of our faith, but instead to go out and to realize that that's the mission, that going out with the gospel is the mission. And yet, there's this gathering part that is so important. So over the last two weeks, um, you have seen, um, and you'll see it on the screen, a conceptual drawing of what um, our new building at Bethlehem to be gathered in to energize, mobilize, and strengthen could look like. Um, it's, a, it's a plan that is uniquely designed to fit our unique 
vision and passion, which is timeless truth that doesn't change, shared in a timely way at the ways can change. Timeless truth in a timely way. It's a, it's a plan that, I'll be very frank with you, is one that needs every friend and member of Bethlehem to be all in with um, when it comes to our prayers, to pray about it often. We, we gave out some jars of dirt from the new site to just kind of keep it on your heart that we can, can pray about this project. So with our prayers, with our time, and also also with our offerings. So you might think that, well, first let me tell you that um, I kind of drew the, the money straw for the series and the offering straw, and you might think that I drew the short straw to talk about offerings and all that kind of stuff. But I will tell you that this area of our life is one that actually becomes pretty easy to talk about because it has so many spiritual connections. <laughs> And yet we don't always feel that way, do we? Um, I bet none of you got in your car this morning and thought, you know, hey, um, if there's any topic that uh, Pastor Ben could be preaching about this weekend, I really hope it's about giving offerings because I, I can never get enough of those sermons. I just love it. And if you're a first-time guest, um, you, I'm, I'm sure this didn't happen. You were scouring the, the web looking for a church that you could be sure we're going to talk about money today. I'm going to pick that church. We had a first-time guest in their first service that told me after the service that they actually had that conversation in their car. Like, every time we go to a church, it seems to be a money sermon. What's up with And then they came here, and it was as well. <laughs> I bet none of you felt that way, but here's the thing. God is passionate about directing us in how we view our material blessings and our money. And here's why. He recognized, even back at the time of Christ, that the thing that tends to compete for first place in our life the most tends to be money and material blessings. That especially in an affluent country like we live, like sure, we go through seasons of being very balanced, but it is so easy if we don't keep our heart and eye on this tension to all of a sudden go way over here where it seems like our calendar and our time and all of our focus is on the stuff, right? We all face that challenge, and, and God wants us to watch out for that because he says it's dangerous for us and our relationship with God. So that's one reason why talking about these things are important. But the other thing, especially what we're going to focus on today, is that there is this purpose that God has given to us for the things that we have that, that I just think so many of us are forgetting about. But if we remember it, it's going to bring more fulfillment to every single day of our lives and also a brand new perspective in how we look at the things that we have. So more than anything, even more than offerings to the impact campaign, I want more than anything that perspective for you that can open up purpose that maybe you haven't thought about yet. All right, so to do that, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus shared. And, you know, did you know that probably half of his parables were about people's relationship to the things that they have? So this was an important topic for Jesus, too. A parable is a story. It's a sermon illustration. It's a story that Jesus would tell in order at the end to then teach people a truth about God or a truth about faith. 
This parable is going to be a little bit confusing and then very enlightening at the end. So you need to listen closely. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples this parable. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Stop. So, you know how today you might hire an accountant or a financial planner to help take care of your things. For those in Jesus' day that had a lot to be taken care of, they would do kind of the same thing. They would hire someone, a manager, to be the steward of those things, to, to, to watch out for them, to take care of them. Well, in this particular story, Jesus sets up a rich man who had a wasteful manager, wasn't doing a good job. Verse 2, so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? I've been hearing that you're wasteful. Give an account of your management because you're not going to be my manager any longer. So the master kind of hears what's up with the manager, the accountant. He's like, here's what I want you to do. I need you to get your books together. If there's anything left on Quicken, some loose ends to tie on your Quicken account, you know, get that all together. Bring in the books and I'm going to fire you because you haven't been a good manager. Verse 3. The manager then kind of said to himself, as he sees that he's not going to have a job very much longer, what am I going to do now? How am I going to make ends meet? My master's taking away my job, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So as he thinks about, you know, what would his options be to keep himself going after he loses his job, he thought about two options. He didn't like either of them. He didn't feel like he was cut out for manual labor. And as far as begging goes, it wasn't something he wanted to do either. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job with this rich man, people will welcome me into their houses. So here's where it gets kind of confusing. The manager recognizes what's ahead. He knows that the jobs he's been thinking about are not ones he wants. And he asks this question, what can I do now with the time that I have left as the manager of the rich man's stuff that will have an impact for me later? And if there's a way that I can get friends who will welcome me into their homes after I lose my job, or maybe even give me a job later, that'll be a good thing for me later. He's thinking about a bigger picture. So what does he do in order to get these friends? Verse 5. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, the debtor replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, because... (laughs) The master might be coming and make it 450. So it's like clearance sale on debt. Debtors come in. I'm going to slash it in half. How do you think the debtor felt? Pretty good. How do you think he felt about the manager, the accountant? Pretty good, right? In fact, you can almost imagine the uh, debtor saying, hey, this is really nice of you. If there's ever anything I can do for you in the future, just let me know. And you can almost imagine the manager thinking, yeah, yeah there's going to be something you can do for me very soon, sooner, sooner than you might think, okay? Verse 7, kind of the same thing. He asked the second, how much do you owe? The second debtor said, a thousand bushels of wheat. He replied and told him, 
take your bill, and I'm going to slash it by 200 bushels. You now only owe 800. The debtor's happy. The manager has a little bit of now equity with that debtor so that when he loses his job, he's got friends that'll hook him up with a job or, as the verse says, welcome him into their homes. Now, as you're hearing about this parable that Jesus is speaking about, um, you're probably thinking that's exactly why the master was going to fire that manager because there is dishonesty here. And in truth, with just the facts of the story, there's really no right that the manager had to be slashing these debts. And as the people were listening, I'm sure they were thinking, I know where Jesus is going with this story. The next thing that's going to happen is the master is going to come home and he's going to be ticked off at the manager and give him a piece of his mind. Well, let's see what happens next. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager. Now, you know there are times where I'll like change words just to see if you're listening and they're not really found in the Bible, but I just want to see if you're listening and then we go to the, what's really printed in Scripture. This is not one of those times, Okay. This is exactly what it says in verse 8 of Luke chapter 16. This is where the parable went. The master commended the dishonest manager. And the question is, why? Why would he commend that dishonest manager? Here's the specific reason. Because the manager had acted shrewdly. That word is another word for wisely or in a smart way as he saw the big picture. Let's be clear. Jesus, his parable is not a point that the master was happy with dishonesty. It's not the point of the parable. The point is that the master was commending a bigger picture thinking, a bigger picture of thinking about, I've got some stuff, I've got a little bit of time, now how can I use what I have to have an impact even much later down the road. So, what is Jesus trying to teach us through all of this? And are there any similarities that we have with that manager? Well, I think there definitely are some similarities. Our next fill-in kind of gets to it a little bit. You and I have been given some time, and we've been given resources. The manager knew his time as a manager was short. Would you say your time on earth compared to eternity would be short or long? (laughs) I mean, 80 years, if God grants us that amount of years, seems like a long time in some ways, but in comparison to eternity, it's nothing. But we've we've been given some time. We don't know how much. We've been given a little bit of time, and we all have resources, financial resources at our disposal. In fact, biblically, they're not ours. You know what we are? We're merely managers of God's stuff that he has allowed us to have. Some more, some people have less, but all God's stuff that we're allowed to manage and to take care of. And the question is, are you a shrewd dude? When you look at the things that God has given to you, when I look at the things that God has given me, do I have tunnel vision to the here and the now? 
Or do I have a bigger picture perspective in how I can use what God has given to make an even bigger impact? Jesus is saying that that would be a shrewd thing. (laughs) That'd be a good thing. No, the reality is that most of us, not all the time, but most of us many times fall into thinking about money as a tool, but a tool for something um, on the screen here, uh, a tool for consumption. And there is definitely part of that. I mean, we need to use what God has given us to eat and to buy clothes and to, to buy a car, and it's even okay to go on a vacation and, and things and, and all those sorts of things, okay? But the reality is, is that God in this parable wants us to have a bigger picture view because so often we just have this view. And when we plan or when we look at our finances, we tend to look about how can we plan things so that it's better for us for this life or for our children's life, which, by the way, I'm going to lump our children and our families in with more me, with me, okay? Because uh, that is, they're so connected to us that it's, it's, it's a me thing. It's a consumption thing. And often when that happens, when you think of money merely as a tool for consumption, we can, we can find ourselves falling into to selfish habits and selfish planning. And Jesus wanted his disciples to think bigger picture with the, the things that they have. It's, it's amazing, too, how short-lived the joy of things we buy for this life really is. Um, Let me give you an example. Um, If you were to go in our basement and go into the room that's under our steps, if you were to move out all the kids' toys that we no longer use, and that's the only place that we can, you know, store them, and then um, move the suitcases out of the way, and then there's a bunch of boxes that I've put down there, and then you got to duck a little bit and go back around the corner in this room. There's this box there that is filled with thousands of baseball cards that I collected for like five to six years of my adolescence. And I loved baseball cards and basketball cards. And I thought all about them. And I, my, my whole focus on the things, the, the wealth that I was given was how can I consume more baseball cards, okay? And now they're under our steps behind toys, suitcases, boxes, and you got to duck and then you'll see the box that hasn't been opened for a really long time. My point being, when it comes to a big impact, nothing of this life really lasts that long. And some things last their impact shorter than we thought they would. And so Jesus wants to give us this new perspective on how we can use our time and the resources from God in a bigger way. And here's how he applies it. I'm going to have to explain it because it's going to be confusing at first. Verse 9. I tell you then, he's out of the story now and he's, he's applying it. I tell you, disciples then, use worldly wealth to gain friends. Remember how the manager was doing that? 
He's using big picture. How am I going to gain friends? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, your worldly wealth, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What in all the world is Jesus talking about here? Let me explain. He says that we can use the stuff we have to gain friends who will be in eternity and might actually welcome you into eternity. So let me ask, how does a person get to eternity? Well, only by faith in Christ, right? How do people get faith? (laughs) By people sharing it, right? Jesus is saying one of the best ways you can use what you have is by thinking about how can I use it to help people hear about Jesus and then to come to faith. You know what? They might even welcome you someday into heaven because you used the time and resources you had for something that would make an eternal impact, a bigger impact. Our next fill-in-the-blank. God views money as a tool to make an eternal impact. Now, let's be really clear. Money does not save anybody. (laughs) You knew that. Only Jesus does. And it's amazing. When you think about someone who had big impact perspective, I can't think of any better example than Jesus. I mean, when he looked at the sin that we got ourselves in as a world and thought about, okay, so I could come to earth and I could do a lot of things for these people. And he could have done anything for us, but what he chose to do was the hardest thing, which was to die in our place, which had the biggest impact. Jesus was all about eternal impact. And by faith, we've been changed. By faith, we have the peace that we sang about earlier. By faith, we have this gift of grace knowing whose we are and where we're going to spend eternity. Jesus made a huge impact in our lives. And now, in response, we have an opportunity to look at what he's given to us and to think, hmm, how can, how can I use this to make a bigger impact than just this life? Have you ever thought about that before? I, I, I know many of you have. And, and many of you have financially given of your, your time and, or your money and material blessings because you love Christ and because you love the sharing of the gospel, because you want to make a, a bigger impact in, in this series and as we think about the, the new building, um, we're, we're asking all of you, especially if, if you haven't done it recently, to, to take some time and to look at what God has given and to think, all right, how do we take care of our family? But in addition, how do we use what we've been given to make an eternal impact? How can I be a shrewd dude, just like the man in the parable, that I might gain friends for eternity because of the work that I've done here on this earth. It, it's cool, too, to think that it doesn't just have to be money. I, really what Jesus is saying, he says worldly wealth, like what if we'd look at everything we have through the eyes of eternity? Like if you looked at your home through the eyes of eternity, how can I make an eternal impact? Who could, who could I invite over <laughs> that I might be able to influence in a gospel way 
or, or our cars? Where could I go or who could I pick up? How could I use my car to make an eternal impact? Or how about your snowblower? You know, snow's coming, believe it or not, at some point. And you know that neighbor in your neighborhood that seems to always be really late on blowing their, their driveway out or sometimes they never get to it. What would happen if you used your snowblower that God gave you and you went and you snowblowed their driveway and then they came home and they're like, who did this? And you're like, I did. And they're like, that's weird. And you're like, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I love Jesus and I love you. You might not say that part. You may, you may. But you see what I'm saying? Like, we can look at everything that way. How can I use what God has given to make an eternal impact? I want to lay that on your hearts tonight, today. So let me close with this story about perspective. I, I shared it a few years ago, but it fits so well that I, I wanted to close out today with it um, again. So when we first, my family and I first moved into our house that we live in right now, um, we, uh, or I noticed that above the door frames, kind of sitting on the molding, were these little pieces of wire that at first I thought were from like the electrician and he had cut off a piece of something and just kind of left it there. But then uh, like a few days later, I saw another one on another door frame and I this will tell you something about me. I had no idea what they were or what they were for, okay? So as I found them, I threw them away because I didn't think they were valuable. Well, so like, I don't know, a couple of months later, uh, our daughter, Addie, who was about one year old at the time, she locked herself in the bathroom, and she couldn't figure out how to open it, and she was crying her head off, and I'm starting to panic a little bit, wanting to get her out of there. And there's this little hole in the doorknob that, you know, I, how do, I need to find something that's the, the shape of, you know, kind of like a metal piece that would stick in there and would, you know, pop it open. And I'm like, you know what? That's kind of the same shape. Oh, those, yeah, yeah, on top of the, and I threw them all away. <laughs> And so I finally found something to stick in there, but never before, or at least earlier, did I have that perspective of the real value of this little piece of metal with a little curly cue on the end until I figured out there was a, a bigger purpose for it. Here's our last fill-in. Is it there? Maybe not. So... You can, I'll tell you it. When you see correctly, you will more likely behave correctly. When you see things correctly, you will more likely behave correctly. All I want for you, it's not even give to the impact campaign. All I want you to do today is to see correctly, to think about your blessings from an eternal perspective, so that you and I might behave in a way that has eternal impact, that we might open some doors for people through our time and our resources for them to spend eternity in heaven too. Let's pray on that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you have uh, given to us. And Lord, we confess that at times we get pretty inward-looking uh, with the usage of them. As we plan, as we uh, evaluate what we have, help us to always keep eternity in mind as you have commended that as being shrewd. 
Lord, specifically on our impact campaign, I would ask that you would move every heart to, to really consider how can we be a part of this impact that will last long after we're gone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, um, our ushers will be gathering our, our weekly offerings as we have a chance to, to support the, the ministry that is going on here. If you're a guest with us, understand that this is not something that you have to participate in. This is totally done out of response to the gospel, and, and maybe you, you go to a different church, or maybe um, you, you give back in a different way. That's totally okay. Um, during the offering also, I want to point out those black uh, connection books, uh, those little three-ring binders that you'll see in the row. 